My job is just removing friction and making it as easy as possible for them to like complete their goal. Um, and then all along the way, looking for opportunities to make that help the business in some way. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. We all have our hats on. If you're not watching the live stream or the video, you should go over to YouTube and subscribe to Design Huddle. Uh, we have an awesome guest today on Design Huddle. It's David Martin. Uh, some of you on Instagram might know him from his Instagram handle, UX Hacks, but just a wealth of knowledge on UX, web development, digital strategy, and everything in between. So today we're going to get into the, the weeds of how to make your website not suck. <laughs> <laughs> but also we're going to get into some pitfalls that, you know, websites owners tend to fall into and also some advice if you're not technical, like ways that little things that you could do that ultimately will help you get more conversions, um, sell more products or help grow whatever your business is. So David, welcome to design huddle. And we also have Mustafa. How are you guys doing today? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Yeah. You know me, awesome. Ryan, we've been, we've been missing each other so much in the last few weeks. I know it's been busy. Summer's never easy, but we're back in our fall, our fall energy. So we should be, we should be good. Um, so David, let's start from the top. How did you get involved with UX? What was your first like moment when you were like, Hey, I think this is something that I want to do as a career. Uh, <laughs> the answer is it's complicated. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure it is for anybody who's in this field. Uh, most people didn't go to school and they're like, I want to be a UX designer. Like that didn't just happen. Uh, I went to school and I wanted to be an artist, you know, growing up, I wanted to do art. Um, then I got to high school and I kind of got a dose of reality and I realized, well, I'm not a very good artist. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be hard for me to make, uh, make a living doing this stuff. And I had friends that were artists that, you know, had graduated and a lot of them were kind of like, you know, struggling, you know, the whole starving artist thing um, is very common, um, at least where I come from. Uh, I am, I'm from Miami, uh, so we have a very big art scene. Uh, you guys might have heard of like Winwood, right? Um, and these guys were just amazing, amazing artists. Um, and even though I loved art, I, I realized probably by the end of high school that I didn't have the right personality to pursue art. Uh, but at the same time, I had realized by taking some other classes, uh, specifically like technology classes through high school, that what I really, really enjoyed was just being on the computer, you know? So I had a technology class in, in high school where they taught us, you know, Photoshop and Dreamweaver and Illustrator. Uh, but by the time I was in that class, I had already been working on those programs for three, four years, right? Um, I had been actively kind of learning that stuff in middle school. And one thing that I, I started to do was uh, I started to trade my lunches um, for that technology class in order to update the school website. So I would be like, hey, I'll stay and I'll update the school website. And then you'll let me go to the other lunch with all my friends. And she's like, yeah, 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 yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. So I just started doing that for a couple of years. And then I graduated 
And I was like, okay, well, I got to go to college. All my friends are going to college and my mom is making me go to college. So I got to go to college. <laughs> I went to college and I realized really quickly uh, two things. Uh, one, college is not for me. Uh, and two, I can sit there and like listen and, and take tests. But it was just such a huge waste of time for me personally. Uh, and the reason being was I didn't have my school paid for. Um, I'm a first generation immigrant in this country. My family is from Cuba. My parents don't speak English. Um, so I didn't have a lot of money to play with and I didn't have a lot of room to make mistakes. So I had to learn very quickly how to make money on my own and how to make money from nothing. So I experimented with a lot of different careers. Um, after high school, I did some photography stuff. I did some videography stuff. You know, I did some uh, website stuff. And the stuff that I kept coming back to was just building websites. And the reason being was it, it felt awesome to help uh, an independent business owner make more money. You know what I mean? It felt like I was helping someone actually make a difference in their life. Um, and I kind of got addicted to that. You know what I mean? I got addicted to working with businesses and hearing about their business and their business problems and their business goals and who their customers are and trying to build a, an experience that would you know, help them, help them make more money, help them stay in business. And this was all before I knew what user experience was, right? So I, I kind of like jumped the gun and went straight in without really knowing what I was doing. Uh, I remember back in the day, I used to have uh, one of those cheap flip notebooks from like the dollar store. And I would wireframe on these little notebooks, tear them out, put them on my wall. And then I would go and actually jump on like WordPress page builder or whatever. And I'd look at these doodles and I'd go and build them with like the page builders. And God, this was almost a decade ago at this point. So I learned like that and then I started to realize, okay, well, if I want to actually be taken seriously in this industry, like there are some things that I need to start picking up. So I started to kind of learn design. Um, I went and applied to like different uh, design gigs while I was still like building websites on the side. Um, my first design gig was like at a super small company uh, it was like four people in a room around like a really cheap uh, picnic table and they were just like coding and designing um, like part time. It didn't take me long to get fired from that job because uh, obviously I didn't know what I was doing. I had never worked at a company. So after that, I kept kind of applying to jobs. At this point, I was kind of still in college. Um, and I went and I found uh, a job working at a company that exports video games to Latin America and the Caribbean. And I'm a native Spanish speaker. Um, so for me, it was pretty straightforward to be like, hey, you guys service Latin America. I know how to do graphic design. Let me do your flyers, right? And they would send email flyers to, to people. So I got my foot in the door there working part time uh, after school type of thing. Uh, I worked there for about six months. And then I was like, hey, by the way, I'm available for this next year uh, to go and actually come in full time. And what I did to do that was I just changed my school schedule to be completely remote. Right. So instead of going to school for the second year, I just did full remote classes and that allowed me to work during the day, come home at night, eat and then study and do my thing. So worked full time for a few months and then you know, the owner kind of comes to me and he's like, hey, uh, David, we've got this website, but it's it's not very good. And we kind of wanted to know, can you build websites? And I was like, kind of, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, oh, OK, well, 
here's the kind of website we want to build. Um, can you do this? And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me go and, and take this and I'm going to look it up and I'll get back to you. And obviously, I didn't know anything I was doing. So go on Google really quickly, look up some stuff. I'm like, okay, well, this is how you would build this kind of website that they wanted, which was like um, an e-commerce website. So I was like, okay, you can use WordPress and WooCommerce and all this stuff. And then they come back to me and they're like, okay, well, we actually want the website to integrate with our uh point of sale system and our inventory tracking system that we use for the entire company. And we want to be able to upload and manage inventory through that system. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like, <laughs> I've never heard of that before. Okay, well, uh, <clears throat> let me go and look that up and I'll get right back to you and obviously go on Google and start looking stuff up. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, I found the platform that integrates with this called Magento. It used to be owned by eBay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're still owned by eBay. Yeah, they're, they're still around. But uh, Shopify just totally destroyed these guys. Uh, but back in the day, this was uh, great for customization. It was on PHP. So we found a company that specializes in the backend portion that just creates the integrator piece that connects the that backend to the website. So we got them working on that. And while they were working on that, I was then building the website. And that was the first time where I had to actually like sit down and think about the user experience. I was thinking about, okay, what is it like to come to this website as a person that speaks only Spanish, right? Or what is it like to come to this website as a person that only speaks Brazilian Portuguese, right? So then I had to work on building the website once and then working with uh, the sales representatives or the sales leads for each of those territories to then get them translated. So a multilingual e-commerce website. And then we had to think, okay, well, how do we make this so that it's not like a store? Because the the publishers, which are the companies that own the video games and all the consoles and all that stuff, they're very strict about where you're allowed to move that merchandise. So if your merchandise is marked for Latin America and that gets found somewhere in the state sold, well, guess what? That's a problem. You know what I mean? Um, so we had to make it very clear like, hey, you can't order from here if you're from America. <laughs> this is not for you. Um, you can't or even though it's in English, you can't order here unless you have an account. So we had to essentially make it so all the add to cart buttons were changed into check price button. And then that button would automatically check to see if they're logged in. If they're logged in, it shows them the price. If they're logged out, then it goes and sends them to a page where they can go and submit their account for registration. Right. So it's like all these crazy user experience customizations that they needed for the business. I was just kind of thrown in there. You know what I mean? After I had kind of built the website and got it functional, I worked there for maybe another year or so and working on customizations and maintenance and all that good stuff. And then I realized like, man, if these guys were paying me whatever it was, two, three thousand dollars a month um, to manage one website, how much could I make if I managed two or three websites? You know what I mean? And then I, I started to think, well, how much did that company make that just did the connector piece? I built the whole website. It was a lot of work, right? Like six months of work. These guys just built the connector piece and that's all they do that connects, you know, that backend system, that POS system that they use to the website. And they were making three times as much as I was doing and doing <laughs> 10 times work. And I was like, man, suddenly, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I, I kind of started to dive in and I, I started to think, man, what are the, what are the things that I'm missing? And then I realized, well, I have no idea what I'm doing on, on the technical side, <laughs> right? So at that point, I, I didn't even know what user experience was, right? I, I was just like, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. I really need to pick up the, the skills that I'm missing. I'm curious, so, like, just to jump in, Mike, uh, Dave, yeah. um, when you were developing the site, were you breaking things down into personas or were you just, as you no. were doing it, 
you were trying to figure out because in a site like that you've mentioned say like the brazilian portuguese speakers and the spanish speakers but you also got the sales reps who are using the back-end system to upload stuff as well which is a separate a completely separate persona as well Um, and also the persona of someone who shouldn't be on this site buying stuff because they're american right so the personas in for me were not theoretical the personas were very real and they were in front of me telling me what they did and did not want you know what i mean yeah like i i worked with the sales representatives like i would go and i would talk to them uh i would go and i would talk to customers and i would see what their current process is like remember leading up to that i was the person making all of the marketing materials that they sent to all of their customers you know what i meant yeah so i knew exactly what their customers were looking for and what their sales people were kind of using to promote and it was just about making it easier, making it faster, making it more dynamic, um, and then just iterating over time to make it better and better and better and better. Um, does that answer your question? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, no, no, perfect. Um, so moving on from there, when you, the, the moment clicked where you said, I need to, I need to UX up, like what, mm-hmm. what was the activities that you did to get to that point then? So it wasn't that I decided that I needed to UX up. I needed to up my technical skills. Um, Because I didn't understand what I was doing, right? At this point, I wasn't convinced that people were going to pay me just for design yet. So I decided I was going to leave that job. It was also a very difficult time personally for me. So I was able to say, hey, like, I I don't want to just quit if you guys still need me. So if you want, we can reduce up my hours um, and you can use me maybe like part time again, right? So going back to like this whole part-time thing, oh, but by the way, I'm going to be doing it 100% remote because if not, it's not worth it for me because I would have to drive an hour to go spend four hours there. That's not yeah, yeah. especially for a website work. So this is when I started to realize, oh, if you have enough of these technical skills, you can actually start to work from your house. And yeah. this was revolutionary for me, right? Um, so I, I left, uh, started working part-time, and then I started to do my own research as to what I needed to do. Um, so I went and, and did a lot of tutorials, a lot of self-learning, um, free code camp, YouTube, all that stuff. And then I realized, man, it's going to take a really long time for me to learn this stuff. Um, so I just said, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to go to college at this point. I was like, I don't think college is for me. There are things that I actually want to learn that are going to give me an immediate return on investment. And it's going to help me build my career. And I want to double down on that stuff. So I took the money that I had saved. Uh, to like essentially go and get my bachelor's degree, which is about $10,000. And I put all of that into coding bootcamp, right? So I was the only person in coding bootcamp that was like, yeah, I don't care if I get a job. I'm not here to get a job. That's not why I came. I'm here to understand how to code. You know yeah. what I mean? And there were a few people like that that were entrepreneurs. But for the most part, coding bootcamps, uh, if, you're, if you're from a coding bootcamp, you know what I'm talking about. Um, they push that you're going to go and get a job. And, and they guarantee, you know, you don't pay anything unless you get a job. And it's like... I don't think that's realistic, first of all, uh, but second of all, that wasn't my goal. So I went through coding bootcamp and in those three months, I realized, wow, there's a lot of stuff that I just don't know. Um, the whole time that I was doing that, though, I was freelancing. I maintained that client, which was the exporter. I picked up some other clients and I started to, while taking on that freelance, that education, that coding bootcamp education, I was then doing my own education, which was I was designing and developing WordPress websites and Shopify websites for clients after class, before class, on the weekends, you know, to fund the fact that I had moved out by myself in a $600 a month apartment in the middle of like the worst neighborhood in the world. <laughs> uh, but it's, I, I had to put it all on the line. You know what I mean? So. 
Yeah, absolutely. I did that. I would go to school for, for three months. After the fact, I was able to be friends with the people that work there. I negotiated a membership for very, very cheap, like $50 a month. And then I registered my business there and I continued to then frequent that location and talk to the business owners because a co-working space is essentially just a bunch of entrepreneurs that are getting together to do work. And guess what? A lot of those entrepreneurs didn't have website skills. Yeah. yeah. So I made um, a lot of different connections. Uh, one of them I remember, I'll never forget. Um, he comes over to me and he's like, hey, you're the website guy, right? I'm like, guess so. Because uh, <laughs> I wasn't the website guy in the coding space. There were literally 40 people in that coding bootcamp. But I was the only one that right after coding bootcamp, I was out in the coworking space, talking to people, you know, seeing what I can do. I I'm trying to make a <laughs> trying to make a living. I, I got to pay $600 and take care of my dog. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't free for me to just hang out there. Um, so I had to, to hustle. But a few months after that, it started to pay off when people started to realize, oh, you need a website thing. Just go to this guy and he'll help you. So this guy comes up to me and he's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I was on a client call and he goes and he visits my website and he says then he got redirected to this porn website that was like, do you have a small penis? Like, <laughs> yeah. what do I do? And I was like, oh, OK, so you got some malware <laughs> added to your WordPress website's header. I'm happy to remove it. It's like a five minute thing. But I was just cracking up the whole time. Now that, that happened to me when we first because I we had a com I had launched the company back in 2003 and I think the host just the whole host got hacked because they were independent and going to the website and me and my friends like laughing thinking oh my god when clients come to see we've been promoting this domain for like six months now it's like what <laughs> so you guys have branched out to other areas and avenues yeah yeah so um I fixed the problem for this guy and at first he didn't think that it was a problem and the reason why is so sneaky it's because the the crawler looks to see uh, what the referral source is and if the referral source is Google then it will hijack your traffic but if you go direct then it won't so uh -huh. he was going direct to the website nothing happens but his clients were finding him on Google and it was just getting transferred to the extends whatever um, landing page which is obviously malicious right they're 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 going and they're harvesting your IP and then they're trying to get all the personal information that they can from you from visiting that website. So it was very important that we got that fixed for him. Uh, once I got it fixed, I, I learned what he does, which is uh, SEO, a term I had not heard before. <laughs> so I started to kind of um, work with him on projects here and there. You know, he'll do like um, SEO project for a client and then they'll be like, oh, we've got this website that we're rebuilding. Do you want to design it? I'll be like, OK, yeah, I'll design it. We'll design it. He had developers. And then a lot of what I had to do was just kind of be like, hey, developers, here's how you should implement it. Uh, and then they would go and they would implement it. From there, I kept kind of growing my business and, and growing my freelance um, engagements, I guess to say, uh, until his company got acquired. When his company got acquired, he tapped me and he was like, hey, I want you to meet my new partner um, because they desperately need development process. I went and I go met, I, I went to go meet his partner over um, at a WeWork and I kind of hit it off with the current development lead that they had because I was the only person that they had spoken to that knew how to design it, knew how to develop it, but like also like had very thorough knowledge of what the entire development operational process was. Yeah. Uh, because I had, I had done it. I hadn't just been a person that goes and does one task and pushes it up. It's like I had built websites from end to end for clients. So being plugged into an agency that was missing that it was kind of like a natural fit. Right. So 
in that time, they kind of asked me, well, do you want to be the development lead? And I, I told them, I don't, I don't want to be a development lead. I think that's dumb. <laughs> right? What? Uh, no offense. Okay. So the reason that I think it's dumb is because uh, their process started at design. And I realized after, you know, the six or seven years that I had been doing this is your process starts at research. It doesn't start at design. You shouldn't sit down to design if you don't know what you're going to design. That's a waste of yeah, time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm curious. Is like because someone who's had because it feels. I mean, it's never as simple as that, but it feels like you fell through, and it's almost like you know, like a baton race. Every single part. Obviously, there's so much chaotic things like and to get to the point you are now. At what point did you re have that epiphany moment where you realized that research is such a key part? Because you went to the boot camps and whatever, and you kind of you're making mistakes, learning from them, understanding real time, like what different clients needs and trying to fit as you're learning. What was the point yeah. when you realized, actually, this client wants me to do something, but this might not actually be true. And so right. we have to figure out like, what was that moment like? I can't tell you an exact moment. I just know that one, I've always had control issues. So like having to implement something that's already been designed and then essentially having to say, um, hey, there's there's no CTA on this page. Uh, there's no micro conversion. There's no macro conversion on this page. It's like I had been working with businesses and coming from like a marketing standpoint. So when I got thrown into just the development end of things and they were like, implement this stuff that's already been designed and you don't have any say because it's already approved. I had a huge problem with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, well, I don't care if this is approved, if the client's going to come back in six months and be like, hey, you guys made us lose out on conversions, right? It just think about it this way. One percentage point loss in conversions for someone who's getting hundreds of thousands of visitors a month on their website is potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars of lost revenue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like we're directly responsible for that. And for me to attach my name to a project like I'm not comfortable just going and implementing whatever the designers had given me specifically because those designers, they were graphic designers, yeah. branding designers. They're not UX designers. So at that point I made the decision. I don't want to do that. I want to be a UX engineer. Uh, what, so can I just wonder what year was this roughly speaking? Sure. So 2016 was the boot camp. Yeah. Um, 2000 and by 2018, we were already kind of uh, at this company. Yeah. So, so we, if we think about that timeline too of like trends, so 2000s, everyone basically is like, you have to have a website to be a, a, a functioning business. And then at 2000, mm -hmm. like 15 through 18 was really like the M web, like designing for the mm -hmm. mobile web. And then we kind of got into, mm -hmm. I would say the modern web in like 2018 ish where it's like it doesn't you don't just need a website but you need a great experience um and everything else that goes right. bundled and i think that's where we really see this boom of ux audits people that are um experts in like different verticals and like how to design websites for right. different regions and markets um so that i just i think that's helpful for the audience for context so you were actually at a very interesting time when a lot of companies yeah. had websites that we're in the process of doing redesigns to be mobile friendly, mm -hmm. be performant, need accessibility mm -hmm. standards, like all that other stuff. Right. And I think really, uh, Mustafa, to really answer your question was because I came from like this freelancing client work background for years and years and years, I know what the client calls are going to go like, right? And especially calls with like early prospects. 
I felt that there needed to be somebody who was there to directly answer questions related to the user experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we already had a development lead or a development manager that can answer the development questions. He can answer those just as well as I can. We already had like a branding design person that can answer, answer the branding questions. But when it comes to someone then asking the question, hey, your SEO team recommended that we do XYZ on-page thing, and XYZ on-page thing means that we needed to create XYZ opt-in points. So how are we going to implement those opt-in points in a way that's not going to hurt the user experience or hurt performance? Guess what? Who answers that? Yeah. Well, it's usually the person, the PM that's like, uh, I'm not, uh, 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 I don't know. Uh, well, I was like, hey, we should just put me as the user experience person, even though I have zero experience, right? Because I, I know that I can at least tackle these questions from a user experience perspective, and I can start to build out the process that fits into the development process that I already gave you guys, right? Because the development process I already gave you guys, they have their own design process. Um, I came in and I said, we're going to set up a design process just for websites, which is the website UX UI process. So we set that up and over the two years that I worked there, I started to develop a UX audit process specifically for marketing websites. And the reason that we developed this process was because I needed to fit in my development portion of the business that I had created and the user experience portion of the business with all of the other portions of the business. And this was primarily an SEO and PPC company, which meant that they were trying to sell those services, yeah. right? So in order to make it easier for them to sell those services, it's like, I wanted to develop a product that can justify a high ticket price tag for a website redesign, which is where the, the website UX audit process comes through. So we, I sat down and I developed this over time. And even when I left that company, I just kept working on it and working on it and working on it. And now it's pretty much the lead and offer that I give to anybody that comes to me. That's like, Hey, we want to do a website redesign. And usually, I'm the only one that's like, cool, here's the step-by-step -step process that I take to identify all the problem areas on your website, document them, and then make sure that they're getting implemented. And I'll go and I'll show them a presentation. I'll show them a website that we did UX design, and I'll point out how we implemented each of the recommendations in the UX design. Then I'll show them how we then took the brand and applied the branding um, over to the UI design. And I'll show them the live website and then to just kind of Put the nail in the coffin i'll show them the the google performance scores yeah right can you give and, us a little uh a little taste of what the free ux checklist like looks like like some specifics sure i mean i can share on my screen if that's easier yeah that works okay let me pull that up yeah yeah take, take your time so we're actually uh, in the I, I think the thing that you hit on david that's huge is just like going through the actual process of how you do it i yeah. think the one thing that i've seen is that when People want to either start from scratch or do a redesign. They find it's very overwhelming and mm, then they ultimately like sometimes won't even end up doing it because right. it's not, there isn't a process to chunk it out and make like a clear step to go from our current state to our future state. I, I agree. And that's one of the, uh, the reasons that we built this. And that's one of the reasons why I don't take on redesigns that don't want to do this. I, usually I tell them. If you don't want to actually do the research before you redesign, you're better off going to Fiverr. You're better off going and just finding someone that's going to build it for you the way that you wanted. Cause I'm not going to build it the way you want it. I'm going to build it the way you need it. You yeah. know what I mean? And there's a big difference. I'm not here to take your order. I'm here to make you money. Right. And all the clients that I work with know that from the very beginning. 
So I'm going to share my screen. And it's a, just, again, iterating that it's a huge shift in how it used to be because it was not like that before. So this is the free checklist that you get. It's really bare bones, um, but it covers each of the portions of the UX audit that we're going to go through, which are business objectives, analytics data, competitors, a review of core templates, a review of the usability, a review of the accessibility, and then performance metrics. So this kind of gives you a really quick brief on what is a UX audit, which again, identifies problem areas and potential opportunities on a website or application. It's a list of exactly what needs to be optimized that will impact conversions and boost your ROI. So at this point, you can tell I'm, I started to think about UX terms in my marketing. And I was like, people don't read, just highlight the things that people need to know, yeah. right? Um, because they're not gonna read it. And this was something I learned through user experience design. So get paid to run a discovery phase before designing anything. This is because ultimately this is selling a course at the end, right? So here's the eight step process. This is then a checklist that you can just go and kind of fill out, right? For a bunch of the questions. And a lot of them are very straightforward questions like, hey, which subdomains or features should we include as a part of the UX audit, right? Sometimes people are like, we want to redesign our website, but their website has like three different parts. There's like a store, there's the marketing side of things, and then there's like paid landing pages. So this just kind of clarifies what it is that you want redesigned. What are your business goals? What are the conversion points that you have? All that good stuff. Um, insights from analytics data, it's going to ask you questions that you need to know about things like, you know, monthly traffic, average session duration, new versus returning, male versus female. And all of this stuff, it matters in user experience design, because if you have a breakdown of 85% um, females and 15% male on your website, well, guess what? You will really want to use a feminine color palette. You want to use slightly different fonts. Um, it's just different imagery in general that you're going to use marketing to females versus marketing to males. And the analytics is how we get to kind of understand that data. I also hear a lot of people that are like, you got to design mobile first. You got to design mobile first. I always design mobile first. Well, guess what? I work with a lot of B2B clients. And if the breakdown of the devices are 95% desktop, we design desktop first. Um, you guys can get mad at me in the comments all you want, but if 5% of people that go onto a website see the mobile version and 95% see the desktop version, you definitely need to design the desktop first. Yeah, and so, I've, also, I've also noticed this because me and Ryan have both done the UX audits at Google. And one thing um, we've noticed is, oh, in particular, is like mobile first. When you look at the segment of, say, traffic, mobile first, the mobile is often quite high. But when you look at actually the money being spent and conversions, the difference is usually what happens is people traverse devices. So I might be adding stuff to my basket on Amazon right. throughout the day on mobile, but the actual final purchase is done on desktop. So it's like you right. could, having this one or the other approach, often it's like the reality is, I don't know, I'm, I'm, who knows what the reason is, but people feel more comfortable, I find, desktop on a credit card rather than mobile on a credit card. I don't know why, yeah. maybe this is a wrong, that it's, a wrong, it's not cor you know, correlation causation, but it's interesting that the final steps are often done. And even I, today, like when I was buying some stuff, I could have just pressed buy now on, on the mobile, but I didn't. And I don't know why. <laughs> my credit cards are saved on my computer, but not my phone. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's just interesting. Um, yeah. One thing which I've noticed as well is like your style of um, UX audit was very focused on say like the purchasing power of whatever. And I've done UX reviews in the past. And oftentimes it's been for clients who I don't have access to their data. So I can only really give like a holistic design review based on say navigation, onboarding, sign up in this way. I mean, do you still, how do you get the actual data when you're actually doing these kind of like audits? Because that's 
really mm. important. Like, cause it's like, you can say, well, your call to action isn't very prominent, but without actually testing to see if the call to action has actually been engaged with, how do you really know? Right. Or I'm asking you for your secret recipe, basically. No, no, no. There are no secrets, <laughs> straight up. If you guys want to know everything that I do, go watch me on YouTube. It's all free there. Honestly. Excellent. We'll, we'll link uh, to the YouTube channel in the podcast and also in the videos. That's awesome. Wait, but, so on uh, the YouTube channel, do you walk through your audit process end to end, David? So the YouTube channel will do whatever it is that I need to get done for the business and we'll do it live. Oh, nice. So um, cool. if it's auditing something and the client has given us permission to do the audit live, then we'll, we'll do it live. If it's designing something, we'll design it. I have, um, you know, my own businesses that we work on on stream. Um, so it's kind of like a toss up. You know, I've got a lot of different skills and realistically, it's just about teaching people some of what I've learned and picking yeah, up absolutely. the way. So how do you go about getting data? Do you use something like users.com or like, do you, are you getting data from the client to, to assess? We are getting data, data from the client. What you'll find is the client nine times out of 10 has their own data and their own metrics that they yeah, look yeah. at in order to judge whether or not something is successful. And that's why it's the very first thing I want to talk about, because I want to make sure that the metric that you're using to measure success is the metric that I'm using to measure success. And yeah. we need to be on the same page because if there's a disconnect, there's going to be a problem somewhere down the line. And I know this from experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. So get very clear on like, hey, well, how, what are you guys currently using? Is it Google Analytics? Are you using like a third party tool? You know, do you not have any kind of analytics gathering? If they tell me we don't have any analytics, I usually will tell them, hey, I'm probably not the right person for you. I'm going to go and connect you to a couple of friends of mine that run SEO companies um, and they'll probably pitch you on getting your analytics set up. Once your analytics are set up, um, then I would recommend you come back here. And the reason being is, we don't do design that is not data driven. That is our one unique selling point in the industry. And it's the only reason why people go onto my website and they book some time to talk with me because it's a one page website and it's not that interesting. But the fact that I'm, I'm coming here and I'm saying, Hey, I'm prioritizing you and your business goals. Every design decision that we make is gonna be impacted or guided by data. And we're going to tie back at the very end of the project to those goals and the analytics that you set up so that we can make sure that we have positive results. You know what I mean? Most designers, most developers, they're not going to see that. Right. So it really gives me that edge in, in pitching those kinds of projects. But at the same time, it makes it so when a client goes, I don't like that. I'll say, I don't care <laughs> because we have all of this data that says we need to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I've had a client, for example, we just did um, some e-commerce split testing, CRO stuff. Um, and there were two things that the client asked to remove. Uh, the first was on the product page. It was um, like a sticky on mobile, a sticky add to cart. Yeah. So there's like a, a little banner on the bottom. You click it and it opens up a cart and you can go ahead and yeah, add yeah. the product directly through there. What that does is it makes it so anywhere on that very long page, they can go and they can actually add the product to cart. They don't have to go all the way to the top. The second thing that they made me remove was um, I repeated the very top portion where it's like the product again, yeah. all the way at the bottom of the page because it's a very long and informational page. Now, if you go to um, any website that sells mattresses, you're going to see the exact same thing, the exact same setup. And the reason being is that the page has a lot of information. So it's very long, meaning the user is going to probably go to the top, be like, okay, this is the product, but I'm not ready to buy yet. I'm going to scroll down learn more about the product. What are the ingredients? How does it work? What are the reviews? And then I might be comfortable enough to buy. So the problem there is you're expecting the user to go 
all the way down to the bottom of the page and then you're only showing them recommended products at the bottom where I want to show, hey, here's another chance for you to convert at the bottom, right? She asked to remove both of those things from the CRO test and I said, <laughs> yes, no problem, we will do it. By the way, because these are recommendations that are going to impact the results of the CRO test, I'm just letting you know that if we remove this, it is very likely that you will have a negative adverse effect on your conversion rate. Are you okay with that? And as long as they say yes, it's like, hey, your funeral, I don't care. We already have the design. We already have the hypothesis. If this one doesn't work, we can just run it as another CRO test. It's not a big deal. You know what I mean? But it's like, I'm not saying, no, I don't want to because I don't want to. I'm like, hey, by the way, the data said this, this, and that. We looked at your scroll depth on your page and people are reaching the bottom and then they don't know what to do. So that's why we added that stuff there. You know what I mean? If we remove it, that's fine. Just know it's going to impact conversions. But it's always that conversation of, hey, we're not designing to make you happy. We're designing to make you money, right? And if you want a designer that's going to come in to make you happy, it's not me. If you want a designer to come and help you make money, then it's probably me. I'm curious. Why would they want to remove that? Is it because they thought it was visually unappealing? Right, exactly. So a lot of, um, a lot of people that you know, have websites, they worry a lot about what their opinion is as opposed to what the consumer's opinion is. And the fact is your opinion doesn't matter. What matters is what's working, right? Um, I have seen designers all the time just roast people on Twitter and they're like, oh, I can't believe you're a seven figure business. Like your website looks like total ass. It's, it's literally just one long sales letter. And it's like, yeah, but that long sales letter is making them seven figures. Like, I don't care if it's ugly, if it works, you know what I mean? And that's, that's kind of the difference between like who I used to be as a designer and who I am now as a designer after like this whole foyer into user experience is like, it really doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the consumer thinks and what kind of experience they have, right? And my job is just removing friction and making it as easy as possible for them to like complete their goal. Um, and then all along the way, looking for opportunities to make that help the business in some way, yeah. right? Yeah, Brian, I think, I think one of the things that. you do, yeah, I think one of the things you do uh, really well as a UX strategist and website, uh, someone that does leads uh, website strategy, is you're very uh, business focused, where I think that gets lost right. a lot of time. Like you're very anchored on what do you want to achieve as a business? And that's anchor on like a couple of metrics to make sure that like the changes we're making are getting you closer to, you know, higher conversions, more revenue, like very things that are very tangible to the company's bottom line. So let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Do you typically have a handful of metrics that you anchor on, like that you really watch closely to see how a redesign or a website is performing? Yeah, I mean, they're the ones that everybody should be looking at. Um, the first is uh, exit and bounce rate. So we want those numbers to go down. Um, let's say your website is an 80% bounce. Well, we're going to think, okay, well, what can we do to make them take an action before they leave? Right? So we might say, okay, well, let's implement an exit intent pop-up and let's try to give them a very valuable offer in that exit intent pop-up to reduce the number of bounces. Right? So each metric that we're trying to improve is usually tied to some sort of strategy. Right? Um, if we're thinking, okay, we want to improve conversion rates. It's like, all right, well, what, what opt-in points do we have? on the article, right? I do a lot of uh, B2B websites. I do a lot of marketing websites. So a lot of what I focus on is what's getting them traffic, which is ultimately like the blog pages, right? 
Um, PPC companies is different. Those are paid landing pages for people who are worried about SEO. They're really worried about improving like their blog posts and stuff. Right. So looking at that and saying, okay, well, is there an offer somewhere right, right below the, the fold? Is there an offer at the end of the article? Is there an exit intent that's showing it to them in case they didn't opt in? You know what I mean? Like we need to try to make it so that yes, the experience is good, but at the same time, like we're keeping those business objectives in mind and executing that on the website. Right. Excellent. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, I have no idea if I answered your question. No, no, no that, that is, I just bit with like the question just like was, is there any, uh, metrics that you like to watch and anchor on? So I think bounce rate, exit rates, huge. Obviously, yeah, click rate on the primary CTA is huge. And then right, conversion rate um, is one that like I always love is conversion rate. Yeah, conversion rate is okay. kind of the gold standard. And like, are you able, because I think of a conversion rate as um, did a user meet their goal, right? Like if conversion yeah. to me is that a user had a frictionless experience and they were able to meet their goal or find the details that they needed in order to convert. Mm. Um, and there's two cool. more so we're, that we're, are kind of important. We're running close on time, so I wanted to give uh, Mustafa an opportunity to ask one more question. And I also wanted sure. to quickly plug, uh, you know, everything we're talking about today, we, we, David was gracious enough to show us his uh, UX audit. Uh, you can find that on uxhacks.com, and he also has a YouTube channel, David Martin uh, UX Hacks. So check that out. He does a live stream every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So highly recommend checking that out if you kind of hit on anything of interest today, whether you're a website um, or you're a designer aspiring to be have a similar you know company or skill set as David. So um, yeah, and then Mustafa, why don't you bring us home with one more question or topic that you wanted to touch on? Yeah, David was about to ask. He said there was two more. Uh, things and almost like it was like you know the the butterfly that was getting away come on david what are they quick what are those two more things that you like to check for yeah yeah i, um, didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off oh, sorry david good. that's right the the two other ones that are really important um time on page um people always forget about that stuff and it it doesn't always change in the way that you think it's going to so for example we had um an e-commerce client that we did the cro stuff for and they had a very compact kind of um, product page for the product with a very high time on page, five to seven minutes. Their average time on page is one minute, even on their homepage. So people are sitting on this page and they're really thinking because there's not a lot of content. So they're thinking about whether or not they want to make the purchase. Um, just by looking at that metric and looking at exits, bounces, and, and the conversion rate, we were able to surmise right or hypothesize that the best thing to do is actually increase the length of the landing page and give them more information. Because if you, they have, if they're spending seven minutes, they're looking for something and it's not, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, so absolutely. let's go and actually expand it. We added, you know, uh, a more interactive ingredients list, a better how it works section, you know, uh, frequently asked questions, more reviews, all that good stuff. Instead of having them hidden behind a bunch of tabs, we broke them out into like a long form landing page, right? And we were able to figure that out because of the time on page being so long and the content on the page being so small, right? Um, and then the second metric, which is not really a metric that you can measure out of the box with Google, but it's something that I set up on all my websites is a uh, scroll depth. So what I'll do is either have Hotjar, which yeah. create uh, heat maps, or if the client's like, we don't want Hotjar, I, I'll say, okay, that's fine. Are you on Google Analytics? If they say, yeah, then we can go and create events based on scroll depth. So we'll have a 25% scroll depth, which is 
usually they got right below under the fold, a 50% scroll depth, a 75% scroll depth, and a 100% scroll depth. And the reason I like to track that and look at those metrics is because it's going to tell me, are people actually reading the bottom of the page or are they converting on the middle or at the top? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. That way I get to look at the conversion rate and I get to look at like the page depth and I can kind of see, okay, well, most people don't pass the 50% point, which means that people are only converting on like that top half, which means everything on this bottom half is essentially useless. Let's consolidate the page, right? And scroll depth, it really complements, you know, time on page and, and all the other metrics. If you're able to set it up properly. I've got, sorry, Ron, I've got two more. Really, I'll do try and do them as quickly as possible. First is like a lot of the tools that you seem to be using are geared towards looking at analytical data. Are you doing any one-to-one conversations with users just to sort of, you, you can see what's happening, but understanding a deeper why they're, why they're doing that or like observing behavioral stuff? So that, I mean, that's only, out of curiosity. Yeah, the only time that we need to do stuff like that usually is if it's something a little bit more advanced like we're building a dashboard or an account ordering system or something like that and we need to talk to a customer um if we're thinking like how are people using a marketing website and more specifically like a a template like a blog it's not that hard to actually look at screen recordings and look at heat maps and really figure out okay well this is more or less how people are using this page because there's not a lot of options you know what i mean you either scroll you click or you leave on a, yeah. on a blog post well, on an account it's a lot more intensive and i remember we didn't speak to the customers directly when we did um the account page for expresswriters.com what we did though is we actually had them set up an account for us and we recorded ourselves being a new customer creating the account placing an order talking to people and having them fulfill the order so a lot of times when i go through the ux audit I'll ask them for a 100% coupon code and I'll go through the process as a consumer. Absolutely. And that way I get to be the user. A lot of times, like um, I had a I had a call with a client or with a prospect and they were, they kind of asked me for my opinion and I told them, I'm like, honestly, from your homepage, I have no idea what you do um, because I just like randomly landed here and I don't know you. And they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I was like, oh yeah, but by the way, most of your cu- customers that are coming from cold traffic they're like me. They have no idea who you are or what you do. So, Excellent. Okay. And the final, final, final one is like, as, as well as promoting your website, your XX, is there uh, any tools that you would recommend people looking to? I know you've mentioned, obviously, Google Analytics, Hotjar as well. But like for someone who wants to start getting more involved in the business side of analysis, uh, uh, analysis of design rather than, oh, you should change your colors and make fonts bigger. Like, Is there, like, is there any tools that you would <laughs> recommend? I mean, um, get familiar with Google Analytics. Um, get familiar with Data Studio. If you're a UX designer, uh, learn how to generate um, a UX or CR UX reports, um, which that's what Google is looking at um, when they're trying to figure out what the performance is of a website. Um, and honestly, I think the best thing that you could learn how to do, even as a UX designer, is learn how to do split tests and A-B tests. So learning a tool like Google Optimize, I think, is invaluable because when your client says, I want you to make the logo bigger instead of saying, okay, you can say, okay, well, let's do a split test where one on one, the logo is bigger and on the other, the logo is smaller, and then ask them what it is that they're trying to measure by making the logo bigger. <laughs> Nine times out of 10, just having the conversation of like, okay, what are we trying to measure with this change? They'll realize, oh, this is just something that I want to do because of my own vanity. And yeah. then if you're a really smart designer or developer, you can say, hey, I'm not here to boost your ego. I'm here to help you make money. All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> Excellent. That's us. Thank you so much for your time, David. Yeah, I'm super happy to to have been here. Uh, if you guys have any questions about this, I'll probably be active in the comments here if I'm allowed. Um, if not, feel free to go uh, ping one of my videos over on uh, YouTube. And if you're interested in the A-B testing, we have a live stream where we just learn how to use Google Optimize. So feel free to check that out as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, David, this was awesome. Packed with so much like actionable insights for designers as well as people that run small businesses and websites. So we'd love to have you back. Thanks again for the time. This was great. Yeah, no problem. Awesome. All right. Thanks, well, everyone. We'll guys. catch you next time on Design Huddle. Peace. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Design Huddle. The opinions expressed are solely our own and do not express the views or opinions of our employer.